Welcome to Humanly, the podcast providing allied health and integrative medicine practitioners with the most up-to-date, evidence-based and clinically relevant information. This podcast is a melting pot of ideas on health and well-being and does not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Humanly podcast. My name is Daniel Reuters, and today I'm joined by Jason Christoph. Jason, thank you so much for coming along. It was a pleasure, and I'm in Canada at 7 o'clock here, and I know it's, I think, what time is it in in Australia? Uh, It is 8.58 a.m., so we're in the morning here. Well, thank you for getting up in the morning to talk to me. You're very welcome. Just so the listeners have a bit of an idea of who you are and what you do, you're a self-sabotage coach and you've been doing that for a number of years. You had a really successful weight loss clinic over in Canada. You're working with a lot of clients and you've also done TV and radio show appearances. You've been on the Dr. Phil show, so you've done quite a lot over the years. And the thing that really interested me with the work that you're doing is that you're working with clients around self-sabotage and it's something that pretty much every single client that a practitioner works with um, will do at some point. People will self-sabotage themselves. So can you talk a little bit about what self-sabotage is and why it's important? Well, self-sabotage is, you know, repeating any behavior that gets you negative results. You see the negative results, but you can't stop it. And yeah, I used to work, I used to work at, it was a very successful weight loss and exercise clinic, but it was only successful in uh, the financial side of things. I couldn't really get anybody any great results and it was very frustrating and it was hard on the soul. I felt very bad taking the money of these people who I I know needed to lose weight. Some of them, their lives were in jeopardy. They were so big. And to take their money and then to watch themselves sabotage at a hard time, you know, eating right for, say they needed to lose 100 pounds because it was a, you know, it was a, a weight loss clinic that did the big weight loss. And say someone needed to lose 100 pounds and they would lose 20 people would notice, their friends might notice, and they seem to be scared of losing the weight or if someone would drop off, you know, to enroll in one of my weight loss programs, it might have been $3,000. And then we'd sit down, we'd do a consult, we would get them on track, give them exactly what to do. And then I would see them at Dairy Queen that night, which is an ice cream parlor, a chain here in North America. And they would be eating like a Dairy Queen blizzard. And I was I was getting very frustrated. Why couldn't these people dedicate to being healthy or kind of being their best? They seemed to seek safety and mediocrity. They were afraid to stand out, afraid to get in the limelight. And as I was getting frustrated, I started to get into the study of mind control and psychology and psychic driving and uh, mental conditioning. 
and I, I realized that these people were were living out a psychology, an underachieving a mediocrity-based psychology that they couldn't shake because of how I discovered there's a part of the mind called the subconscious mind, and it's it's our friend. It really loves us, but it basically looks out into the environment and sort of assesses. This is its job, and it operates beyond our conscious control, and it, it looks out in the environment, and it sort of looks for the right thing to say, the right thing to do, what not to say, what what the average person is doing. And then, uh, contrary to what most people believe, the subconscious mind actually controls our behavior. So we act out the average. We act out what the subconscious mind is observing in our environment, because again, it's a safety, security, and survival-based mechanism in the way the human is designed, if you're just like the other people, they like you more. And that's a great adaptation for survival, except if your environment is full of overweight, underachieving, mediocre, scared kind of adults who act like children, then your subconscious will actually mimic and mirror and copy and emulate all that out of the environment, even though it makes you depressed and diseased and dysfunctional. Like you could even have a meeting with this part of the mind and say, hey, subconscious, I don't really want to be following this behavior anymore. It's making me depressed and overweight and miserable and I'm broke. And I know you're mimicking the average so I could fit in, but I'm strong enough to um, take the heat of the herd by not being like everybody else. And your subconscious might say back, look, I really appreciate your input, but uh, that's not my department. My department is fitting in and with the crowd, and I've observed and analyzed and downloaded the information of the crowd. And yes, they are depressed and overweight and medicated and mediocre, and they drive toward the average. And you're going to be exactly like that, because that's how I satisfy my function. And this copying and mirroring and emulating part of our brain that comes with standard equipment on the human body, um, we can see it in things... um, we can see it in studies that you know don't get to the public too much. There was a movie one time uh, called Gone in 60 Seconds with Angelina Jolie and Nicolas Cage. Do you remember that uh, movie at all, Daniel? Yeah, I do. That came out, what, like 10 years ago, maybe? Yeah, more. Was, I think it was the year 2000. It was actually nine, or maybe 2011, sorry, 2009. So yeah, you're right, about 11 years ago, 2009. Yeah, I do remember it. And it was a movie about car theft. And of course, the average person thinks they're in full control of their behavior and they believe they manufacture their behavior internally through logical analysis, uh, you know, careful considerations of their options in life. But, you know, the psychology proves otherwise. This is just a great example 
of how we copy what we see. This movie, Gone in 60 Seconds, was a movie about car theft. And when it opened in Burnaby, B.C., Canada, in my country, car theft went up 65% in the first seven days. That's incredible. Yeah, it is. And and you can find that effect everywhere, even in the movie uh, Fast and the Furious, and it was a series, of course, about drag racing cars. And even my dad used to drag race cars because of happy days when he was a kid. Uh, I don't even know if you remember that sitcom, but the, it, there was drag racing all the time. But yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. So Fast and the Furious, you there was you know a lot of uh, low-rank cars, Honda Civics, RX-7s, Toyota Supras, and various, you know, four-cylinder cars under $10,000. Everybody started, Mustangs, everybody started to get these cars and drifting around corners and smoking their tires. And again, humans copy what they see. And then there was a uh, a show called The Cosby Show. It was a, a show, there was an African-American um, husband. He was a medical doctor, Mr. Huxtable. His wife was Claire Huxtable. She was an African-American lawyer on The Cosby Show. And during the nine-year run of the show, African-American enrollment in medical school and law school went up 19%. Because again, psychologists know this all the time, and and the people who sort of make our movies know this, or TV shows as well. The the phrase is what what's on the screen will appear on the street in very short order, because humans copy. And then after the Cosby Show was canceled, the African American enrollment in medical school and law school plummeted to pre-Cosby show levels, and they called that the Lil Wayne effect because there were so many negative role models in the black community that followed uh, the ending of the Cosby show. And this sort of psychology, I know you, you attended a little webinar that I did last week, and I have some very powerful videos that prove conclusively (laughs) and that Humans do not manufacture their own behavior internally. The subconscious mind, again, a part of the brain complex, comes as standard equipment in the human body. The subconscious mind scans the environment looking for repetitive cues, repetitive rituals, repetitive ceremonies and beliefs and ideas. And the reason it loves repetition is because repetition represents that there's sort of a group already believing or acting out that particular concept or behavior. And the subconscious mind wants to be part of a group because it wants you to be safe and secure and increase your chances chances of survival. So whatever the majority is doing, the subconscious mind prompts you to also follow, which is a really great way to survive. But again, if the environment is negative, things really go disastrous for people in regard to their self-sabotage. And that's what was happening to my weight loss clients and my exercise clients. They were going home 
and watching, say, a sitcom, like not a sitcom, it's not even a comedy, but the HBO show Shameless or Bad Moms or Dirty Grandpa and, and or various other shows like that that are pumped out of Hollywood for various reasons. But the subconscious has been proven not to know the difference between real life, screen, screen images, and sort of images you make up in your own mind. So when someone, when a human being goes and watches a show like Shameless, and if no one knows what that show is, please pull it up uh, and just put Shameless trailer, and you're going to see a horrific display of mediocre and underachieving addicted, sloppy, messy human behavior. And if you subject your subconscious mind to that negative imagery, it actually believes you live in sort of what I call a shameless tribe. And it wants you to fit in. And the only way for you to fit into that tribe is to be underachieving, mediocre, messy, addicted, unfocused, you're a procrastinator, and you basically find connection with other humans through chaos and crisis. So again, it's a uh, survival part of the brain that really served us well to blend in and fit in and mirror and emulate and go along to get along so that we're always in a bigger group. But today it's completely backfiring because when our subconscious mind goes to copy the majority, they're not healthy. They're not wealthy. They're not abundant. And they're not progressive. You know, they're not progressive or evolutionary with their, their in a spiritual context or a relationship context. And, and so we're Basically, our society is sort of stalled. It's not just the individuals. We've stalled as a society because all we're taking in through our eyes is sort of messy, negative, and mediocre behavior. Uh, I hope that sort of that mini rant sort of explains things a little bit, Daniel. It does. And when you were talking about those behaviors and being part of a tribe, it reminds me of uh, a story that I tell um, some of the people that listen to me. Um, and it's if we think back, say, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, even a 1,000 years ago, when you were living in your tribe or your village, if you started to get a bit overweight, people would call you out on it. They'd be like, hey, man, look, you're getting a bit overweight. You're getting a bit unhealthy. It's time to pull your head in and, and shed that weight. And they weren't doing it from a, a negative um, perspective. They were doing it to help. Uh, it was a beneficial thing to get you back to health. But then at some point in time, that's changed where it became non-PC to actually say to someone, hey, look, you're getting unhealthy, you're getting fat, you need to start doing some exercising and eat a little bit better. Um, we can't say that to people anymore. And it's just eroded our ability now to keep the, those that we um, associate with in our day-to-day -day lives on track. You know, you just got to shut up, say nothing and, and let people do what they want to do um, with their own health. And 
it it happens a lot with clinicians when I'm dealing with them. They often say, "Look, I'm I'm dealing with some um, unhealthy people or overweight people. I'm providing them with what I think is amazing nutritional advice or health advice, but they're not doing what I'm telling them to do, or they're not getting the results that I want them to get." And they think that it's because they're not offering the right type of advice or that their advice is incorrect. So uh, is that something that you would agree with? Um, Do you think that clinicians, sometimes they are offering the right advice? It's just that their clients are choosing not to heed that advice? That's 100%. You're probably offering the best advice in the world. And some of that advice is, I mean, it's always around there's more books on healthy living in print right now than any other time in human history. And of course, the clinicians in your field are giving top-notch advice with health and exercise, and disease, um, you know, management, and the people don't follow through. And that's what they were doing for me as well. I'm, uh, I was just working as a Czech practitioner but they would still not do the exercise routines. They would keep drinking their wine. They would keep drinking the thing. They would keep eating and drinking the things that would slow, not even slow their progress. It would stop their progress. So what I started to do on a psychological level, knowing that their environment controls their behavior knowing that the subconscious mind copies particulars and patterns, I would start giving them different shows to watch that had healthier people. (laughs) I started asking them to buy particular phrases, positive phrases for their mirror, um, for their fridge. I'd ask them to listen to positive podcasts on the the way to, to work. And remarkably, that's when they started to change. It had nothing to do with how good my nutrition plan was or how good my coaching was. I had to trick their subconscious. See, the thing about the subconscious mind is it'll never let you down. It's like an 800-pound gorilla. It's a bodyguard. It's a protector to you. And its job is to analyze the environment every single day you get up. And it and, and that's what a lot of people should take hope in too, is it actually doesn't care about what happened to you when you were five and when you were 10 and 15 or 20. It doesn't even really care what happened to you yesterday. It's smart enough to know that what the crowd was doing yesterday might not be what the crowd is doing today. You might have changed herds. You might have changed villages. You might have changed locations where you're living. So it's well aware that, yeah, you could have moved tribes. So it wakes up every morning, brushes itself off and says, okay, Jason, I'm going to do my scanning. We're going to see where we are. We're going to see what the average person is doing. And my job as a coach at that time started to be tricking the subconscious mind, knowing how it works. So knowing that it will never let me down, knowing it copies the tribe that it's in, and it it won't let you not fit in. So if you can make it think that it lives in a healthy tribe, it calls a huddle with you. 
and says, hey, Jason, I'm not too sure if you're aware, but from what I've scanned here since we've got up, we live in a healthy tribe. I know that the most dangerous role for you to play out in a healthy tribe is unhealthy. I also have seen through my downloading and scanning and observation that everybody in this tribe is wealthy. I know that the most dangerous role you can play in a wealthy tribe is being poor or non-abundant. And this 800-pound this gorilla then grabs you by the wrist and drags you, whether you put your heels in or not, it will not let you down. It will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if, if you don't understand the power of the subconscious mind to alter your metabolism based on what sort of re repetitive messages it gets, simply look up uh, the phrase on your interview, like go to Google, look up what's called phantom or false pregnancy. So this is a female who, and this, you can find this on WebMD. It's not, uh, you know, it's not far out off the mainstream. It's in the mainstream. So phantom or false pregnancy. We have a female believing she's pregnant. And she repeats in her mind's eye, and again, the subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between real life screen time or imagined uh, scenarios. The lady imagines she's pregnant. The subconscious sw switches the metabolism so that you could fit in better because the subconscious would make get the messages that it's almost like a genie in a bottle wants you to maybe fit in to a pregnant tribe. The lady's uh, breasts start enlarging and expressing breast milk. Her abdomen distends. They've even found the amniotic sac in the uterus, no fetus. This is how powerful the subconscious mind can be to rework your metabolism, your brain function, your temperature, your hormonal profile. And it has that sort of ability because it's completely obsessed. It has the sole function of trying to make sure you fit in every single place you go. So my job as, uh, I don't, I'm not going to say a psychologist, but I started literally littering positive imagery that would, would trick my subconscious mind that we don't live in the shameless tribe anymore. Not my subconscious mind, but the subconscious mind of my clients. I would put positive in imagery throughout their environment so their subconscious would believe that they had no other choice but to fit into the new tribe, and the new tribe is healthy, wealthy, and wise. And then the subconscious does what it always does, which is to make you fit in. So I hope that, um, and I know it's frustrating, Daniel, for someone with a high, very high degree of knowledge with PhDs or masters, and they, the people will not follow through. And that's why I started my own questionnaire, like what shows are you watching at home? Are you watching Mike and Molly, which is a CBS show where Mike is the male star and Molly is the female star, and Mike is about 350 pounds, and Molly's about 250 pounds. And if you watch that, the subconscious just says, hey, we live in a bigger tribe. 
and uh, we're going to fit in with that bigger tribe. So I'm going to put the brakes on your weight loss and do everything I can to make sure you fit in with this tribe instead. So I hope that makes a little bit of sense. It makes perfect sense. And just as you were saying that, I was thinking about how many tens or hundreds of millions of dollars not only the Australian government is spending or the US government is spending on public health initiatives to promote healthy eating and they try and do it every which way possible, but it just doesn't seem to work. I think now there's like two out of three Australian adults are overweight or obese and you know, I think there's one third of Americans now who have uh, insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes. So these public health initiatives that the governments are trying to introduce, um, even though they've got the right message, they're not un- addressing that underlying driving factor or cause, which is the self-sabotage and and the control of the mind by watching these shows and being a part of a group that is unhealthy. So maybe they need to start thinking about those things to change the health of the population. Yeah, they really have to start looking at popular themes because of course the subconscious its scanning ability is ferocious and that and that just reflects its love for you it wants to protect you it really doesn't want to miss any observations in the environment i know i told you uh, last weekend that the subconscious mind actually downloads environmental information at a rate of 11 million pieces of data a second and if you, it doesn't miss anything. And I used a lot of videos in my past presentation proving that the subconscious mind does not miss anything in your field of view. It doesn't miss anything uh, in your auditory centers. What uh, you know, health officials should be really trying to focus on is looking at the average uh, movie or TV show, and then acting like the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind rarely scans the actors or what's called the central field of view. The subconscious mind loves scanning the background, taking in as much information about the environment as possible. And during the presentation that I know you were privy to last weekend, I analyzed a trailer for the movie Dirty Grandpa. And we all looked for, we participated as a group, and I asked the group to pretend it was the subconscious mind, stop looking at the actors, which was Zac Afron and Robert De Niro. I told the the audience, pretend you're the subconscious mind scanning, do not look at the actors, look at the background and tell me how many pictures of alcohol you see in the first 60 seconds of the trailer. The trailer was two minutes long. We counted 13 repetitive images of alcohol in the first 60 seconds. And there's a whole movie like that, which is about two hours long. And I've never really sat down in a movie to count how many alcohol imprints, but I know through the study that I've uh, engaged in, in mind control, and um, what's called behavior modification, if an un, uninformed and you know non-educated participant 
plops themselves down to watch these kind of shows, they're not aware, like the Gone in 60 Seconds uh, situation or the Cosby show or the Fast and the Furious situation, that person will drink alcohol because the subconscious brain ranks alcohol consumption as normal and something the majority is participating in in this part of the brain is actually designed to fit in no matter what it will it actually has a function that i call dying to fit in and it the best example of that is a kamikaze pilot a kamikaze pilot um you know maybe when they're 16 walks by the square, the downtown square in Tokyo. Before the TVs, they used to use the, the the public squares to sort of imprint the public with various repetitive images. But as that 16-year-old is, you know, walking by in 1941, he sees there's a lot of positive adoration and there's a lot of people putting positive energy on new kamikaze pilots. So when that young Japanese male turns 18, the subconscious mind says, hey, this is looks what the majority really endorses. This is where I can get a lot of the majority looking at me. This looks like a completely safe thing to do uh, in, in, in regards to fitting in. And this part of the mind wants to fit in no matter what. So this young Japanese 18-year-old goes through the ceremony, puts the bonsai bandana around his forehead, and then drives a loaded fighter bomber into an enemy warship and kills themselves. So the subconscious mind says, that was absolutely great. We fit in. And the conscious mind says, but we're dead. And the subconscious says, that's not my department. I just wanted you to fit in and be liked. And you can see the disastrous sort of programming that, you know, is being taken advantage of today, where there are many groups who understand we do copy what we see, and especially if it's repetitive, and, you know, in in many circles, sometimes they call that propaganda, but if you just go back to the, the basic TV shows and the movies, Everything we're getting shown on a repetitive basis, if we repeat it and the the psychology is firm, we will repeat it in one way or another. Everything's hedonistic, child-based, short-sighted. We're not, you know, it doesn't matter what movie you go and watch. Everything is hyper-violent, hyper-sexual. There's no long-term planning. Everything's about instant gratification. And frankly, you can't run a society with people that mimic that kind of behavior. The society will collapse. And that's what we're seeing. Hope that makes sense. Go ahead, Daniel. It it does make perfect sense. And it's even to the point now where um, I live in Brisbane and – uh, probably once or twice a week throughout my travels, I drive past the biggest hospital in Queensland, which is the state that I live in, and uh, the, the hospitals are, um, yeah, the largest hospital in the state. And without fail, every time I drive past that hospital, there are people working in the hospital and even patients in wheelchairs or on crutches or whatever out the front of the hospital 
smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. And it's like the self-sabotage is so great that they can't even identify that what they're doing with those two behaviors, um, drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes is detrimental to their health. And if you would have asked me three to six months ago, Jason, is coffee bad for your health? I would have told you, well, of course it's not because there's so many wonderful uh, papers and studies out there showing these remarkable health benefits of coffee. And you've really opened my eyes to the fact that coffee may actually not be so good for us. And I think that that may come as a shock to many clinicians listening to this podcast right now. So are you able to um, elaborate a little bit further on why coffee isn't actually that good for our health? Yeah, I can do that. Well, let's go back to the people who are drinking the coffee and smoking or smoking outside the uh, outside the hospital. I, I would like people to understand that the reason people self-abuse like this and the reason the clinicians that you know are having so much of a hard time getting people to follow through is kind of what I've been explaining already is that they're smoking to symbolize their their level. They're drinking coffee to symbolize their level. And the reason they're proudly peacocking their level of mediocrity is only because when the subconscious mind scans the bigger herd, the bigger herd is mediocre and they're medicated and tranquilized and lobotomized on various different chemicals. So in order, it's not like, it's not, and this is self-sabotage in its truest sense, there is no benefit to smoking and there is no benefit as well to drinking coffee. It lessens your life um, it's a guarantee it's not going to elongate your life at all. But why are people doing it? It's because you have to peacock your membership in the underachieving tribe so that you aren't attacked. The way the subconscious mind works too is, is if, it, if it scans a mediocre, underachieving, sort of overweight and diseased tribe, the way it protects you is it not only embraces and mirrors and emulates anything that gets you that result, it becomes an enemy of the opposite, which means it becomes the enemy of health. So when you're programmed and live in a sort of mediocre environment, not only will your subconscious force you to be part of the mediocre gang, if if you ever decide to try and be healthy, the subconscious will cut that, cut you off at the knees. Because if you're healthy and everybody else is sick, your subconscious already knows how the human nervous system works. You will be attacked because you're different. So it's all about fitting in and being the same. So when you see the people smoking out there and when you see them drinking coffee and they're in wheelchairs and everybody's sort of overweight, what what the average clinician should understand is those people are peacocking and literally jockeying for position in the hierarchy of an underachieving society. And they're also saying, don't attack me. Hey, I'm as just as unhealthy as you. I'm just as mediocre as you are. I'm just as polluted. I gave up a long time ago. Do you love me yet? Do I fit in yet? 
are, can we be friends yet? Because they want to be part of the bigger group. And in, in, and people, clinicians and, and health authorities should really start understanding that when people get healthy in an unhealthy society, they get very, the subconscious will make you nervous because it doesn't want you to go there because it knows you're going to be attacked. And that's why my clients who needed to lose 20 pounds, sorry, 100 pounds, when they lost 20, they would feel this massive anxiety because they would be the thinnest one in their group already and they needed to lose another 80. So it's just safer to scurry back and dig back into the old tribe and say, look, I'm really sorry. I won't, I won't try to jump the wall again. I, I jumped the a castle wall. I saw there was goblins and demons and werewolves out there. Can I come back in? Can I be, become part of that tribe? Now, as for coffee, if, if any sort of health professional wants to learn the truth about coffee, they can read Caffeine Blues by Stephen Chernisky. And I have a horror section in my health library. It holds one book. And it is caffeine blues. (laughs) I read that book and I'll tell you, every page was, are you joking me? There's no way. There's no way coffee's this bad. And it revealed the coffee lobby. It's this massive coffee lobby that organizes all the uh, research that's rigged and faked about coffee having benefits. It has no benefits. It causes everything from uh, strokes to heart attacks to carpal tunnel to high cholesterol to depression to osteoporosis to ulcers to Crohn's, colitis, eczema. Uh, It it causes so many I I was baffled. And of course, it has a very big impact on the psyche. It has a very big impact on the brain function, which I talk about quite a bit. But I also review movies and TV shows for background objects that include coffee cups, coffee mugs, coffee machines, Starbucks, and various other international coffee chains. And I've found some doozies. And when I go over these clips, uh, but of course, the prelude to going over all this very suggestive subliminal background (laughs) symbology, I have to literally prove to the audience I'm delivering to that the subconscious mind does scan the background. And then those background objects do affect the behavior of the audience, uh, the people in the audience. And by the time I get to that point in the presentation and then roll your typical movie, I can I even sometimes, or sometimes I've allowed the audience to pick a movie off the top of their head. And then we find it on the internet. And there isn't been one movie that is being picked off the top of someone's head that doesn't have coffee mugs, coffee cups, coffee pots, um, espresso machines, or coffee symbology, or, you know, the symbol Starbucks, there hasn't been one movie or, or TV show that we've reviewed together that does not have that in the first 15 minutes of the show or movie. And, and I've done extensive research and presentations on why 
Um, the coffee is included as like a primary symbol in all our media. And if someone really wants to just start this journey, just go read that book, Caffeine Blues by uh, Stephen Chernisky. Uh, you will not believe it. I did not believe it. it, it the amount of data that proves that coffee could be the most detrimental uh, substance sold legally in our society, well beyond alcohol, it, it's massive. It's very, and I, because of its effect on the mind and the brain, uh, it cuts blood flow to the brain by 52%. And not only does it cut blood flow to the brain by 52%, it activates the limbic system, which is our fight or flight system. Sometimes it's called the hind brain or the reptilian brain or the R complex. That part of the brain is very childlike and it has no ability to judge long-term consequences of our actions. And given that coffee activates this childlike part of the brain that can't think long term, coffee is heavily associated with self-sabotage because if there's anything my clients are doing is not thinking about the future. <laughs> so I, I hope I explained that properly. And is it just the is it the coffee substance itself or is it actually the caffeine? Because there's a lot of other foods that contain caffeine as well. So is it that we need to be avoiding those caffeine-containing foods, or is it just coffee? It's caffeine. It's all the caffeine. Coffee is the most popular, uh, but you know, there's energy drinks, there's caffeinated teas, there's pre-workout mixes, and I, I think there's over two thousand medications with coffee. Some over-the-counter, some prescribed. More over-the-counter have caffeine included. There's very weird and hidden psychological effects of caffeine on the brain and nervous system that the public are just not being told. And its propensity and direct connection to self-sabotage is something that might be out the scope of, of this uh, talk, but it definitely, caffeine, if someone's caffeinated, they're going to have a hard time stopping their self-sabotaging behavior simply because the caffeine activates a part of the brain that does not allow the person to think long-term about their the behavior. There's a person that I know in my life, I won't go into too much detail, but they are at the point where they're diabetic and they smoke and they drink and they eat terrible food. And recently they were told by their doctor, if you don't clean your act up, we're going to have to amputate your leg. And the person said, well, I guess you're just going to have to amputate my leg then. It's so ingrained in them to participate in this self-sabotage behavior that they're willing to even have their leg removed. So how do we be even begin to start unraveling all of this and put people on the right track, Jason? Well, that person would have been raised in a very underachieving fear, terror, panic, and uh, family tribe that was really steeped in crisis and chaos. So that is the primary download that that person would have would have 
absorbed. And of course, the subconscious mind is the most active uh, between the last trimester and the age of five. Half of what we learn as our behavior is downloaded before the age of five. And the reason our subconscious mind is so uh, obsessed with scanning the environment when we're young, and then of course the scanning leads to our behavior, is because fitting in and going along to get along is the only way we learn to survive when we're five or four or three. We can't throw a roundhouse kick. We can't leave the house, get on a bus, go rent an apartment, get another job. We have no choice but to try to fit in. It's our only way to survive. So the gentleman you described is very common today, probably had parents that um, the most common chemicals abused with children who turn out to be adults like that is coffee, alcohol, and junk food. And when you're raised by someone who's drinking coffee and drinks alcohol and eats junk food, it's very terrorizing for the child. And that sort of fear or trauma or, you know, conflict or, you know, PTSD in a way really affects how they behave as adults. And to try to get that person, that person will be so afraid to be their best because the last time they've never seen someone be their best. They've only seen someone be their worst. And therefore the subconscious mind, you know, talks to this gentleman and says, unfortunately from my downloads, being at this very low and mediocre and underachieving level is, is where it's the safest. So this is where I'm going to keep you. The only way to get to a person like that is potentially expose them to some of my work where you, there could be a morbid curiosity that they don't control their own behavior. When I present, I try to present in a very interesting slap you in the face sort of way where the shock value keeps you coming back and paying attention. And then the solution for a gentleman like this is literally you have to redecorate his environment, let him get repetitive stimuli from the environment through podcasts, through his screen, and either, and the most powerful, of course, is hypnosis. And the whole combination of those modalities would be to trick the subconscious mind of this man that he lives in a better tribe. Therefore, the subconscious releases the grips of the old tribe and says, now we live in a better tribe and I'm going to force you to fit in there. The subconscious will force you to fit in depending on what environmental stimuli it downloads. So you have to trick it that you live in a healthier tribe. If you don't, if the person lives in this society, the chances of them rejecting health, rejecting wealth, and rejecting abundance are massive because they don't see it acted out anywhere in any sort of re repetition. All they see is disaster movies. They see chaos and war and killing. I mean, most people today, Daniel, work jobs they don't like, caffeinated the whole time, drinking alcohol 
at night, eating junk food or various food, non-food-like things during, you know, during the day. And then the reward on a Friday night is watching a screen where two actors kill each other. When you put all this into the subconscious mind, of course, you're going to get messy people. And the whole solution is riddling the environment, auditory, visual, and subconscious reprogramming through hypnosis. I love using Marissa Peer out of the UK. She's one of the best hypnotherapists in the world for reprogramming the subconscious mind. So if anybody's, if there's a clinician that um, has someone in that sort of state, which is not uncommon today, I would just dedicate the full hour putting some headphones on them and letting them sleep. Your subconscious never sleeps, by the way, so you can go to a, into a full snooze and your subconscious will definitely download the positive imagery and start getting manipulated in the proper way where the person will change themselves. So how are we going to trick the whole world or certainly the Western population into becoming healthy again because we're at a point now where we have never been sicker as a population. It, it seems almost like an insurmountable task here. Yeah, we'd have to destroy all the TVs. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> People love their TVs. And, you know, there's bigger implications, but People, you know, people like you and I, we, we can lead by example. We can uh, show healthy images and show. And if you think health self-sabotage is bad, try wealth self-sabotage. Wealth self-sabotage dwarfs health-based. People today generally know there there's a lot of healthy people out there. So it's not that sort of scary to be healthy, although most people don't want anything to do with it. There's still 20% of the population that's healthy, but there's only like 3% that are really wealthy. And it's because you know, people are, the programming in the movies about wealth are, is very adversarial, to say the least, about someone trying to make the best of their human potential. Money is advertised as dirty. Money doesn't grow on trees. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. You can't have your cake and eat it too. What do you think I am? Made of money. And uh, the root of all evil is uh, money is the root of all evil. Can you imagine me saying, you know, I'm trying to get a date and I say the root, uh, women are the root of all evil? Like, how much women, how many women are going to come up and talk to me that night? Not many. So if you say money's the root of all evil, of course the money's going to not be around you <laughs> if that's the sort of vibratory frequency that you're giving off. And so to heal the world, um, that's what I try to do. I have a, a self-sabotage coaching school, and I teach people to be self-sabotage coaches all around the world so they can go around and spread this information. And I teach people how to hack their own mind because this subconscious mind can't, you can't change the function of it. You just got to work with it. So instead of showing bad moms, watching bad moms, you got to, you got to show some show on Gaia TV. And if you do that for long enough, you'll never be uh, sick again. <laughs> you'll never be 
um, poor again. You'll never be broke again. And it depends where you want to focus your attention. If you really want abundance, financial abundance, you can listen to Robert Kiyosaki. You can listen to Mike Maloney. You can, there's something called the Stansbury Report, the Kitco Report. And then the subconscious mind says, hey, we live in a rich tribe now. I'm, okay, no problem. You're going to be rich and we're going to drag you there. And someone says, well, how can your subconscious mind really make someone rich? Are you, are you kidding me with that? Like, are you saying there's a part of my brain that can make me rich? And I say, well, think of the phantom pregnancy thing. The subconscious mind can work the metabolism. It can also work the brain complex. All the, all the good parts of your brain are located in what's called the prefrontal cortex. And when they find and measure people that are having great business ideas or evolutionary inventive ideas, they'll come from the prefrontal cortex. Now, if you live in a broke tribe full of shameless characters and dirty grandpas and bad moms, the subconscious mind says, well, unfortunately, if you're rich in this tribe, you're going to be attacked, so you're going to be poor. And I'm going to make you poor. I'm going to make you poor by shutting down your prefrontal cortex. And then I'm going to activate your limbic system, which is the opposite of your prefrontal cortex. It's the dumbest and most inept and moronic part of your brain complex is the limbic system. And the subconscious says, well, I'm going to activate that through coffee and chocolate every day. Because that's what caffeine does. It shuts down the prefrontal cortex where all the million dollar business ideas live. And it activates the limbic system. And that's how the subconscious mind can make you poor. And then if you convince it that it's okay to be rich, it can make you rich by turning your prefrontal cortex back on. And Marissa Peer and myself tell these stories all the time where the average one of our clients wakes up and said, oh, my God, I just woke up out of a deep sleep. I got this brilliant business idea. I went out and I did it and I made like $500,000. And we're like, no, that wasn't you. That was your subconscious mind. That's how it works. You have to make it okay and trick it that it's okay to be your best. And the only way to trick it is to riddle your environment and riddle your auditory centers and your visual centers and your subconscious mind through hypnosis. You have to riddle your environment in the way where your subconscious will be driven in the direction of your goals. How's that, Daniel? Yeah, it's amazing. And I have personally myself done a lot of work over the years with a great uh, hypnotherapist and psychotherapist, and we've done work around this, and it's certainly helped me in in my life. And one thing that I'm particularly interested in finding out more about from you, Jason, is um, your self sabotage coaching school. So, um, what's the course like? How long does it go for? How can people sign up to this course? Well, we open it up twice a year. Now, if someone wants to uh, get on the email list, all they have to do is. Well, why don't they just email me if they're interested? It might be easier. They can email me at jason at freedomfromselfsabotage.com. That's jason at freedomfromselfsabotage.com. They can email me. I'll put it on our private uh, school list. We open up enrollment twice a year. It always sells out in about seven days. And they get to work one-on-one with myself and some of my other 
top coaches across the across the world, and it's about thirty to thirty five hours of, you know, it's not a long course, thirty to forty hours of studying time, and then there's uh, various practical. Uh, applications where myself or one of my head coaches will take you on as a client so that you can learn um, how to process clients from the client point of view. And then there's an exam and there's, you know, there's a coaching library where you learn all the, about all the paperwork that we use as self-sabotage coaches. And I've developed about a 150 point questionnaire that easily pulls out of anybody why they're self-sabotaging. And uh, it's like clockwork. I can, I know what someone's childhood was like just by going over that questionnaire. And then of course we can fix that at any time because the subconscious mind doesn't really care about someone's past. It really just wants to fit in with what's repetitive today. And that gives our clients a lot of hope that they can change on a dime. They can swivel and pivot immediately once they know this information. So if someone wants to potentially start a side hustle or a lot of our coaches are doing it uh, as their primary income now, they could just email me and I'll put it on the private email list. There's a new offering starting, I think, in mid-December for uh, spring coaching. Amazing. Uh, Yeah, put me down on that list for sure, Jason, because it's something that I'm interested in. I'm hopeful that many other clinicians would be interested as well. As we move into the final stages of the discussion today, is there anything that you would like to um, leave our listeners with? Any important points that you um, haven't covered off already? Oh, I think they can just uh, let people know it's about progress. It's not about perfection. It's just what you know maybe investigate yourself potentially start with any show or movie you're watching watch the background and start writing down when you see the coffee pot or the coffee cup or the actor carrying a coffee mug around and just understand that all the behaviors that certain folks or groups want us to act out they will be in the background of the movies And I think that's a very important exercise for everybody to start participating in. And if they start connecting the dots and seeing the themes and the general patterns and the backgrounds of the shows and the movies, it will be a lot easier for them to um, decide to start blocking that stuff. And that'll help everybody. Jason, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It really means a lot to me because you've shared so much important information that I think not only clinicians need access to, but also the wider population. And you've actually given some really amazing um, pointers there as well. So just really basic things that clinicians can start getting their own clients to do is surrounding themselves with more positive health messages, watching different shows, um, or listening to different podcasts that are focused around prosperity and and health, and even just lines of questioning around, you know, what are you doing in your leisure time? What are you watching on TV? And um, what are you listening to? Who are you surrounding yourself with? They're not things that many clinicians think about. And I really appreciate you sharing that with me. It, It means a lot. 
Well, you're very welcome. I'm, I'm very happy and honored to be given the opportunity to talk in this way. And I do it because I really, I want to walk down the road and, and be the least, the most underachieving person because everybody else is achieving to their maximum potential. Hey, this is this is the world I really would like where we don't have to walk down the road and see uh, someone we take pity on because they're overweight, they're, they're hobbling a little bit. I'd like to see the world um, expressing their true human potential and embracing their freedom and their innate creativity. And that's why uh, I want to get to the root of the problem. And I'd really like, yeah, I'd, I'd like a happier healthier and more inventive society so that we can all relax and, and start embracing our true humanity again. So thanks for having me on. Not a problem at all, Jason. And just finally, before you go, um, can you tell us what your uh, website is for anyone listening to go and have a look at your content? Well, if they wanted to go to my website, um, I mean, I have a personal website at jchristoff.com, but I don't have a lot of too many self-sabotage articles on there as of yet. We're going to compile them on a new website that we're, we're putting together now. I think it's called self-sabotage coach or self-sabotage expert.com. That one's not out uh, too much, but if they, if they want to email me, I do have that course, uh, Daniel, that we are packaged now, the one you participated in. And it's probably my most accurate, uh, you know, teaching session that I've ever given anywhere in the world in my history. And it's a, it's a very short, you know, program. And if anybody wanted to potentially view that, purchase that, they can email me at jason at freedomfromselfsabotage.com because that little program will wake anybody up. <laughs> it yeah, it, it's really great. and. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed that uh, program. I actually wish that there was a little bit more, but there was just even in the in the um, two days that you delivered that content over, it opened my eyes up to a lot of things that I wasn't previously aware uh, about. Um, and yeah, I would consider myself to be fairly awake to the things that are going on. So I think, yeah, this course that Jason was talking about, the, the little two-day course would be so beneficial and a great starting point for any of the listeners today. So thank you so much, Jason. It's been a, a pleasure speaking with you and the time's gone by so fast um, because you're just such an engaging and, and interesting person to listen to. So Best of luck with um, everything in the new year, and I hope that we're able to talk again soon. Thank you for having me on, Daniel. You have a good uh, good morning. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com slash podcast and join the discussion. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and become part of our growing community of like-minded health professionals. Until next time.